Canadian Family Health Counseling provides education and counseling services across Canada and beyond. Our holistic approach, called Neural Network Therapy, uses practical tools to boost mood, reduce anxiety, manage anger, break unwanted habits, and develop strong, healthy relationships. Sit back and relax while clinical director and founder Kim Sargent shares her insights and expertise on why emotional health matters. Hello, and welcome back to Emotional Health Matters. I'm your host, Kim Sargent, and I want to talk to you today a little bit about finding purpose. This is near and dear to me because it's been part of my most recent journey uh, post-accident and dealing with the idea of losing purpose, which is, you know, it has, I think we all go through this at some point for various reasons. Sometimes it's somebody in our lives that we've lost or we've become ill in some way. Um, I think that sometimes we just, the shine comes off of whatever it is that we've been up to. Um, Children grow up. There are lots of reasons why we can lose our purpose. Um, And I do think that there's an important part to that. There's something to be said about stripping everything down to its very basics. And sometimes uh, if I think if we aren't willing to go there ourselves, life has a way of saying, I'm going to handle this for you. Um, So I know for me, uh, looking at the connection between energy and emotion has been really big. That's a big part of our counseling practice. The lessons that we teach are all looking at the connection between the energy and our moods and our bodies and how all those things connect. And we look at our emotions as fuel. So everybody has their fuel that they run on. I mean, it's, you know, we're all dramatists in that way. We're all addicted to emotion in that way. Some people are addicted to being frustrated. And so everywhere they go, everything they see just gets more of its kind and they feel just utterly exasperated much of the time. Um, And some people are addicted to being really angry. And you'll see that, that they, you know, find a way to look for ways in which to be offended and, and they're really good at coming up with them because that's, of course, what they're what they're putting their focus upon. Some people are addicted to, to feeling sorry for themselves, and that can be a really tough thing to break out of. I I know that there have been various parts of my recovery process with migraine injury that, you know, having a good poor me um, pity party was really important, but trying to pull myself out of it after any length of time was proving itself to be a little challenging. And I could really, you know, connect to people that were saying it's easy to get stuck here. When I look at finding purpose, everybody's fuel is going to be a bit different. And a lot of that, of course, comes from wherever, whatever our birth story and and family of origin looked like. So whatever fuel your family ran on most often, and most of us can dissect this, you don't need a therapist to figure that out. You can say, yeah, I can tell that, you know, I was a really anxious kid, there was a lot of fear in my household, or there was a lot of anger in my household, and therefore I was very fearful, um, and so on. And I've talked a little bit about some of those really idealistic years um, in my early childhood that were definitely, you know, a huge part of forming those neural connections and seeing the world through this viewpoint, which later changed. I mean, a lot of sort of tragedy and illness, things all kind of happened later in my life. But um, those first um, sort of eight to 12 years were pretty idealistic, and I think formed this uh, worldview that I have to this day. So for those of you that don't know um, who Pollyanna is, I mean, some of you have heard the the term Pollyanna, you know, having a Pollyanna attitude. Um, that was actually my nickname uh, growing up. One of my dad's favorite movies. I think he was quite in love with Haley Mills, actually. But anyway, um, and so it was this great Disney movie. And it was this, you know, this little girl that had this, you know, beautiful perspective on life. And she just found a way to look. She played the glad game. And so if things weren't going well, she'd find a way to see the positives in it. And so we use this term in psychology to re- refer to those endlessly positive 
and uplifting people. And that was really connected to me deeply. I mean, not just from, um, I think, the work that my parents did in the field of mental health and in um, as an Anglican minister and, and faith and so on, but also really, I think for me, it was this, it was just this theme that ran through so it was just woven right into the fabric of my being and so I don't think I knew how to live any other way so idealism is where I go when I don't feel well and when things are scary for me so as the world you know comes to pieces I I can see that as it it begins to fragment and things don't make sense I actually have this almost you know um, trauma response to go I have to get it even deeper you know suddenly I'm watching everything that there is to be seen on the Disney channel it's like I'm scrambling to get back into that nice safe place where where idealism lives and it makes me feel better it kind of takes me back to my roots it's familiar to me so therefore very comforting and of course whatever that looks like for you will be the same and that's even if it's not healthy actually so for families that have grown up with a lot of things that weren't so positive um, oftentimes our baseline can be also not so positive now that takes a little more work to correct but still, one way or another, the great thing is we've got this beautiful brain that is, you know, we've learned so much about neuroplasticity and its ability to be able to change itself. And, and that's exactly what neural network therapy is about in the practice. But it's also what I talked to you about here today, because if I didn't believe in the power to change the way in which you think and feel, um, I think I'd feel pretty hopeless. <laughs> so I found a, I've made it my life's work to be able to figure out the science behind why this is possible and to teach that in really bite-sized ways. So on that note, um, I mean, idealism has been with me a long, long time. I can think about some of my really early adventures. I know I worked at uh, the Varian District Rape Crisis Center back when I was a a teenager or 19, I guess, um, and was part of a a really great project. I helped um, create this thing called WAVE, Working Against Victimization Everywhere. And it quite by accident ended up to be this nationally recognized you know, organization that, that fought for client counsel confidentiality in the legal system. And it won. So most of us think that if we go to see a doctor or a psychiatrist or a priest, that it's 100% confidential. And that's unfortunately not entirely true. So if somebody was to subpoena those notes, those, you know, they do have to appear in court. And I felt that that was wrong. I thought, you know, people need to have a safe place that they can go and have these conversations and not feel as though um, it's going to be stripped from them. You know, when you're seeking help, I think you should have the right to be able to to go there and get that help and say what you need to say. And so as a result, I think some people have been quite harmed by this. So we haven't changed the law. We didn't change the law, but we did set precedents. And that was an exciting movement. And then I kind of moved on and and did all kinds of things. Um, I know my student residence, I was the head of uh, the social activity committee and just had lots of fun with that one. That was pure just idealism of, of being goofy and, and pulling together um, these 900 students in our student residence. Um, and uh, yeah, that was a great time. And then I ended up a, an RA and, um, and then the head of the RAs. And I think that that was a really great time to get creative about um, my idealism there for sure, because uh, it was looking at how to be able to be sort of the counselor, the resident counselor on each floor and to pull people together and connect them. And I don't think we knew back then that connection really is this great um, anecdote to, to lots of things. Um, for one, it would be, you know, definitely we know Gabor Mate talks about that the opposite of addiction is not uh, sobriety, but actually connection. And I think that you can see that that's true also with depression. Um, so that was another kind of, yeah, fun adventure there. And then 
I moved into um, uh, Sick Kids Hospital, and that was my internship. And that I was part of a pilot project, and I really loved working. It was in adolescent medicine, and there was, you know, a lot of program development that went on there. And I could really, it was just where I could really, you know, fill up from my toes and beyond. It just, it, you know, something about that really juicy creative energy that, you know, it's just highly addictive. And certainly, it's the it's the stuff that got me up in the morning and made me feel like I was doing something worthwhile. And then uh, I started my counseling practice. And with that, it was really important to me to say, you know, I don't understand why, like just sitting here now that I'm a counselor, I don't get it. <laughs> like I really struggled with the idea that I'm just sitting and listening. I need for the people that are there to know something that they didn't know <laughs> before so that they can leave and have something to do about this. And so there was a practical part of my uh, approach that really, really just became necessary for me. So each and every session, I kind of worked to develop this approach, which is now known as neural network therapy. So again, you know, kind of this creative act and lots of things in between. Um, but on that note, following the accident, I didn't realize how tied to my purpose, how, 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 how that was connected to my very desire to get up and out of bed and to be able to move on with my day. Because when I was no longer able to counsel frontline, you know, I've talked here about being feeling this sense of being put out to pasture. I don't know how else to say it, except that I just lost my purpose. I just, it just felt like somebody had walked in and said, no, that's not yours anymore. And I sort of stood there really, you know, baffled and, and eventually just sort of crumpled uh, because of it and, and didn't realize what was happening. But really, that is what it is. I lost lost my purpose. And so in that, you know, stripping away of all things that I loved and wanted and the things that I thought made me me, um, I, you know, I got pretty, pretty beaten up in that whole process. Nature abhors a vacuum too. So, you know, there's kind of this idea that when you take out purpose and get into this place of feeling lost, it just finds more of its kind. So I kind of bumped around in a lot of ways, um, trying to figure out where I might reinvent myself and putting efforts in those directions, but not really coming up with anything substantial, largely because I, I just wasn't aware of the fact that I was missing my spark. I was missing that fuel, uh, which brings me to some of the things that have happened more recently. And and I do feel that my, my soul is lightening up again. And I haven't, um, you know, I think it's important to share this because it's something that I know that a lot of people are experiencing right now, people that have been furloughed and things that have happened with the pandemic, I think have, have left a lot of people feeling uh, really out of sorts and in need of reinventing themselves. So I think it's important to share this message just now. So the idea, um, I guess, of, of looking at purpose in particular, I, the first thing I would say is this idea of stripping things away and getting down to our basics is really critical. So when you take everything else away that isn't you, I think it creates room and, and it, it makes this space open up that instead of thinking, I don't know where to go from now, there's nothing here. There's this, okay, I don't know what it's going to be, but I've made room for you. So there's a message, I think, that's going out that's pretty pretty substantial there. And I would encourage people to kind of go with that. And if you don't know what to do, do nothing. I mean, that's a really strange thing to say if you're really kind of in that locked in doing nothing phase of things, but it will come to an end. And I, I don't know that I believe that in some of my states of depression. I, I think I thought, you know, I, I can't just do that. I have to keep trying because this is going to just swallow me whole. And in fact, it was when I stopped struggling and just when I guess I just do nothing for a while that it let go of me. Um, and I think a whole lot faster. So my purpose has changed, as I've said, you know, it was, you know, children and it was my practice and it was um, I, to grow happy. I, I really loved this idea. Um, when things start to kind of formulate in my mind, I always get, there's this thing that happens to me where suddenly I find I'm saying, well, they should do something about that. 
And then, and then that seems to kind of, I wallow in that for a little while until I finally go, well, I'm a they, and then, and then I activate and something happens. So one of the things I, that's just, I just love so much is this Grow Happy project, which I started before my accident, um, when I turned my front lawn of the practice into a food forest. And, um, we started going into schools and teaching children about their moods and how that connected. Um, how moods are contagious, which I think is a really critical thing to know, not just an, as an individual, but as a teacher, that's helpful as well. Um, and we play this game called mood tag. And we'd have these little stations set up where kids would learn how to use exercise and uh, happy shakes and uh, yoga and meditation to be able to lift moods that they didn't want to be in. Um, and then we would build a garden on their front lawn. So that was that was something for sure that was a big purpose and fuel for me. But of course, you know, schools aren't doing those things just now. And I've had to, you know, step back from lots of things that I just physically can't do anymore. So again, with the wandering about in the darkness and not really knowing quite what I was doing. And so the other day I went on this hike, and I'll talk to you a little bit about this Project H is what I'm calling it. Um, first of all, it should be said, shout out to Mark Wynn from Guernsey. And so he had this great idea one day and he went, you know, I, I you live on this little island that's actually its own country. Um, I think it's about 60,000 residents, could be a bit more. And he came up with, and I'm not going to you know, get this right in the way I explain it, um, but some, something to the effect of, I want to make Guernsey the happiest place to, to live on earth by and whatever the forecast was. And I think he you know, sort of set a five-year goal or something. And I always found that really fascinating. I've had several chats with Mark and he's one of these old souls that somehow is just, yeah, you just sort of know when you need to talk to him. I can't really explain it, but he just says exactly the thing that you need to hear. Uh, I went for this hike and, and whatever happens to me on these hikes, I go into the woods. I have these great encounters with lots of animals, um, which, you know, I love people, but I love animals so much more. <laughs> I just love the connection to any, any animal, uh, particularly wildlife. And I, I've been fortunate enough to meet quite a, a few amazing, amazing creatures over the years and do a bit of driving for a, uh, another one of my idealistic things. I met an osprey that was injured on the road one day and stopped to help it out, um, not knowing quite what to do with an injured bird of prey. But anyway, the story is quite interesting as it goes. Um, because when I arrived at the place I was supposed to, I was going to see a guru that had come and was doing a talk on yoga, um, Kriya Yoga. And so here I was, um, I was puppy sitting. I stopped to, to pick up this osprey on the side of the road, not sure where I was going to take it. It just seemed to look at me and say, help. So I did. And then I arrived uh, at the place I was dropping this poor puppy off um, to find out that they had actually um, uh, come up with this uh, other bird of prey that was injured as well. And so somehow all of these animals, including later in the day, <laughs> a, a, a wounded skunk ended up going up to this great place in Minden called Woodlands Wildlife Sanctuary. And it's uh, a few hours from where I live. But they um, that relationship has continued. And so uh, anytime there are injured animals in the area, then I have them come to my uh, my space and I and I help get them to this I, I get the opportunity to meet them and drive them up to Minden and so we've I just anyway some of the encounters with baby otters and so and and foxes and all anyway just so many great little animals and in the woods I seem to encounter them quite a lot as well I think it's just the amount of time I spend in the woods um that you know it's things are going to happen there but most recently um I was on this hike and and starting the hike, you know, kind of in a grumbly, it's morning and it's cold and it's, I, you know, I'm just sort of waking up and ending with this idea that, hey, I'm, I'm really liking this idea of looking at East City, 
the village in which I live as a project um, that could, in fact, you know, and, and I'll, I'll do, do you one better, Mark. I'm going to look at making East City the healthiest, happiest and most harmonious village on earth by 2030. So that was the proposal. That was the thought that came to me. Um, certainly, it's not something that I think is going to happen all in one fell swoop. It's something that I really want not just to do, but to measure. I'd like to be able to measure, um, really even quite seriously, do do blood workups and do psychological assessments. And I, I really love studying the blue zones. They are really interesting to me. And I think the potential for East City, the village I live in, to become um, one of these models of success, I think is huge. We already live in the number one country for quality of life. Uh, Peterborough was voted the number one fastest growing place to retire. Uh, and East City, the most desirable area of Peterborough to live. So we've kind of got all those things going for us. And I want to do this also in a bite-sized way, because I think that charity can become quite toxic, in fact. And I think that, you know, this whole do-gooding thing, which I get myself absolutely caught into, you know, this this can kind of go another way for people. And I think that for that reason, volunteering can be a little nerve-wracking for people because there seems to be always that one person that's going to overtake things and, you know, kind of micromanage. And then we've got the other people that I think are, are I, I think everybody's heart is in the right place. I just don't know that it's always executed in the healthiest way. And so that is also the model I want to work with. And so, you know, driving home from this, uh, this stroke of, you know, genius or insanity, you can decide. I, you know, I got on the phone and, and within, by the end of the day, I'd spoken to Paul Bennett of uh, Ashburnham Realty and um, Jen McCallum of GreenUp and who's got, you know, several degrees in sustainable uh, energies, looking to uh, Ashley Bonner, who has um, uh, heads up our East City group. Anyway, every single person um, when I was asking, so what do you think said, yes, let's go. How can I help? And that's what I'm doing. So instead of looking around at all of the things that I think need some attention and and some help, and certainly the state of affairs in the world in general, um, and feeling depressed about it, um, I'm moving into my little hyper uh, trauma response of saying, how can I be a part of a solution and get hyper focused on the doing something um, rather than just watching it all go by? I am a they. And so we all know the saying, it takes a village. Um, it does take a village. And if we, in a really small way, I think, attacked some of these issues in, in a loving way and in a simple way, a sustainable way. So not just do I think, do I want to see the next nine years evolve with projects, but I've broken it down to make it very bite-sized. I'm saying to people, please don't, this is no more than four hours in an entire month. Tim Ferriss says this four-hour work week. And I'm saying four hours in a month, so one hour a week. There's lots and lots of science behind what happens to our brains when we volunteer, when we connect with others, when we move into acts of altruism. So it's just good for you. <laughs> it is part of longevity. Those studies are in. Happy to provide anybody with lots of documentation on this, but I think it's pretty obvious that the, you know, this what feels good is probably right. And we know that that negative emotion, while we shouldn't shun it away and say that it's bad and terrible and you know all these things that we kind of, we don't want to make it this, this awful pushing against thing. Um, but we do know that positive emotion has serves a purpose in our evolution. The reason it feels good is not just because it feels good. It's also feels good because it actually opens up our brains. It allows our peripheral vision to, to take in so much more of what's happening around us. So when we, when our fight or flight mechanism is in place, when we're triggered by intensity into this reptilian brain that says fight, flight, or freeze, 
our focus narrows and we are, and it's for the purpose of survival. We're looking, we're narrowing our focus so that we can deal with this problem that's happening. And so uh, alternatively though, in terms of developing the prefrontal cortex, a totally different section of the brain than the amygdala, we want to instead actually create new nor- neurons and have that, those neurons and, you know, increase in how often they fire and how often they connect with one another. And we know that an increase in this also means an increase in energy in our bodies. So as we begin to work and strive towards positive emotion, uh, it's not just a, hey, let's feel good because we should all, you know, stand around and sing kumbaya. Uh, It's because it's going to help the cells of our body um, continue to thrive. And so this also means that we see a great reduction in physical illness and in uh, mental illness. And certainly um, that all connects to uh, longevity. So those are all the parts. And, and in Project H, just to, to explain a little more about what that is. So my, my goal is to bring together um, this entire community, I, I guess, really anybody that wants to participate and to address some of these issues. So green space and water, supporting seniors. I grew up in an environment where I had all these extra grandparents and we used to go and spend our Sundays with them, um, having lots of fun with them. It wasn't, this wasn't something I was doing as a, a favor to them. This was, you know, I was building tree forts and, and and learning to play ukulele and and having you know studying the stars and having these great experiences and my parents were thankful for the reprieve I'm sure but I think that the connection of young and old is really important and also missed in our community um, I think that we could not just shop local but shop village local so how do we look first who are the people in your neighborhood to quote Sesame Street how do you get to know them and how do we you know service their use their ser- services and and shops to be able to um, spend our dollars. Uh, at home first. And, and I think that um, things like mindfulness practice, holistic health, um, we have Dr. Brenda Tapp actually who's going to head up our holistic health uh, end of things. Uh, and uh, all of these people coming together and with the idea of saying, I'm going to provide one hour a week or four hours a month if you're better in a surge than you are in a, in a, in a once a week broken down thing. And one of those hours is going to be a meeting because that's just how we have to connect about things. But three hours is going to be a doing. What is it that you're, you know, going to put on in your area of um, contribution that is going to show up in each city and make it a better place to be? And I think even if we fail, we succeed because in a very small community, it does not take much for us to be able to see what's happening around us. And I think that that's uplifting and inspiring. And we also, you know, we want to address things also like the sights and sounds and smells of East City. Um, it's interesting, actually. Uh, so again, for those that don't know, I live just a, a block away from Quaker Oats. And so when I open my windows in the morning, I get to go wow, it's maple and brown sugar day. And so to live in the only <laughs> the only city in the world that smells like oatmeal, I mean, come on, um, it's a great place to start. But I, you know, our nervous systems are taking a beating right now. We've got a lot of excess going on. We have excess sound and we have excess, you know, just craziness going on in terms of how our brains brains are, are trying to take in all the information that's happening around us just in social media and the news and some of the other things that are going on. So I want to work on how to be able to soothe the nervous system, not just um, in our households, but also in our communities. On that note, I'm going to leave it on this one piece, which is, uh, you know, it's pretty critically important to understand, you know, the idea of what's going on with our dendrites. And and while this isn't, you know, entirely tied to this episode, I, I just want to make sure I explain it at some point in this podcast. So here's here it is. So we've got these dendrites. We've got these little kind of branches that reach out from each of our cells. And if you've got this, you know, neuron, you, you've got this cell that wants to be protected, it wants to protect 
itself. I always want to look at why um, our brains are doing what they're doing, because we're going to find answers um, that are going to be geared to the positivity of what's going on. So our nerve cells, our brain cells want to protect themselves. And they got these little branches that are going to go and receive messages from the axon, from another neuron. And what happens is these dendrites, whenever, when something's really super intense, they retreat. And they retreat because they're trying to protect the cell. They're saying, you know what, it's too loud out there. Sound, by the way, is something actually we can't adapt to. We don't have the ability to be able to, to we can adapt to anything except sound. But let's use sound as the example. So all of a sudden, there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of, you know, it could be just anger. It could be traffic. It could be, you know, um, I hear that the therapists in New York City, all they hear about is the sounds going on around because it is such an attack on the nervous system. So these dendrites retreat. And then as soon as the danger is passed or the intensity is passed, they go, okay, I think it's safe again. And out they come. And then something else happens and it's really intense and they retreat. And and of course, this pattern, if it continues enough times, the dendrites in the brain being, you know, just looking for efficiencies here, will just say, you know what, just stay retreated. This is silly. There's no point in coming back out again. Everything's far too intense. Let's just isolate and we'll be okay. What happens in that process, of course, is that we see um, a whole breakdown in what's going on in the brain. And so the ability for one neuron to communicate with another neuron when these dendrites are damaged beyond repair, of course, is, is we'll see the onset of dementia, Alzheimer's, and any of these things that, that, of course, begin to slow that process where we're disconnecting. So not only is connection important in our communities, it's important in our brains. And to be able to have a thriving brain, we need to be able to know that safely we've addressed each of the areas of what happens when we walk out our front door or within our own house, of course. But I think that when we look at projects bigger than ourselves and we look at connecting with our neighborhoods, part of what's happening is we're saying, I want to be connected in a bigger scope and I want to take this little, you know, my show on the road. I want to go and have some experiences out there in the world and I want them to be positive. So in looking at some of these environmental influences in increasing the amount of health and wellness and the focus on health and wellness as the priority in our communities, I truly believe that not only will our health and wellness, you know, and longevity become something that hopefully we can one day be marked as as a blue zone, hopefully will become such an enviable, scalable way of doing this that, and you know, that other people go, hey, I want in on that. But even if we don't, the idea of being able to walk down the street and know that a lot of people in that community are hoping and wanting and wishing for the very same thing and that's to live in harmony and to live with health and wellness as the priority and I think ultimately this is what takes us in to the healthiest happiest most harmonious place on earth so I'll leave it with that do it for your dendrites and um, I hope to speak to you soon I'm looking at putting these podcasts out in combination where you know one of them is an interview and one of them is a solo podcast that just doesn't always realistically work out with my um, with my brain so I'm going to do it the way that I can possibly do it and I hope that if you find some value in this that you might um, subscribe or send us a review or something to let us know that you're interested in hearing more about what we're up to here thanks so much speak to you soon If you like what you've heard on today's podcast and want to learn more about our counseling and education services, or to get involved with our Grow Happy Gardens Health and Happiness Worldwide Tour, visit our website at canadianfamilyhealth.ca. Because health and happiness begin with you.